Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work, and you can find out more. Give them a call. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com is the website. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with uh, Rick LaCastro, Ocaya County Commissioner in District 1. We'll visit with Michael Cannon. He is a Research Fellow, and he's also the Director of Health uh, Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, and we'll visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, and he is the president, founder, and CEO of Executive Management Services. It is October the 8th, and on this day in 1871, flames sparked the Chicago barn of Patrick and Catherine O'Leary, igniting a two-day blaze that killed between 200 and 300 folks, destroyed 17,450 buildings, left 100,000 homeless and caused an estimated $200 million, and today's dollars is about $4 billion in damages. Legend has it that a cow kicked over a lantern in O'Leary's barn and started the fire, but other theories hold that humans or even a comet may have been responsible for the event that left four square miles of the Windy City, including this business district, in total ruin. Dry weather and abundance of wood buildings, streets, and sidewalks made Chicago vulnerable to fire. The city averaged two fires per day, if you can believe that, in 1870. There were 20 fires throughout Chicago the week before the Great Fire of 1871. Despite the fire's uh, devastation, much of Chicago's physical infrastructure, including its water, sewage, transportation systems, remained intact. Reconstruction efforts began quickly and spurred great economic development and population growth. As architects laid the foundation for a modern city featuring the world's first skyscrapers, at the time of the fire, Chicago's population was 324,000 folks, approximately. With nine years, within nine years, they were 500,000 Chicagoans. <clears throat> By 1873, the city was a major economic and transportation hub with an estimated population of 1.5 million folks. That same year, Chicago was chosen to host the world's Columbian Exposition, a major tourist attraction visited by 27.5 million folks, or approximately half of the U.S. population at the time. In 1997, 97, 1897, many years later, the Chicago City Council exonerated Mrs. O'Leary and her cow. She turned into a recluse after the fire and died in 1895. Mrs. O'Leary's cow started the fire in Chicago. Well, the Florida State Board of Education voted Thursday to penalize eight districts for enforcing mask wearing despite a statewide ban on mask mandates. The board accepted recommendations from the Education Commissioner Rick Corcoran, Richard Corcoran, I should say, to withhold funding equivalent to school board members' salaries, according to Forbes, as well as funding equivalent to any amount the district received in federal grants. The school boards that have enforced mandatory mask mandates uh, without opt-out options include Alachua, Broward, Duval, Hillsboro, Indian River, Leon, Miami-Dade, Orange, Palm Beach, and Sarasota. Only two districts, Alachua and Broward, have already been awarded federal funding so far, but the board's punishment stands for those that may receive it in the future. <clears throat> the board withdrew votes on three of the districts, Hillsboro, Sarasota, and Indian River counties, because they loosened their mask policies and are now in line with state protocol. So the governor means business, so does the uh, Richard Corcoran, the Commissioner of Education. No masks for kids, no mandatory masks. Parents can decide, but not school boards. After months of suggesting they wouldn't help Democrats raise the debt ceiling, Mitch McConnell did exactly that on Thursday. I expected it inevitably Mitch might cave. But why did he blink so quickly? It's hard to know exactly why. But the coming Columbus Day recess meant likely uh, was a factor. The simple, uh, simple bill raised the debt $480 billion. That's half, almost a half a trillion dollars until the next inevitable hike. The debt limit fight will resume in December. That's right, a half a trillion dollars for a couple of months. 
The focus in Washington, uh, focus now in Washington, will now return to the Democrats' various spending plans, which is still high drama. The media, of course, is uh, suggesting the GOP is obstructionist, but if Biden's efforts to bridge the gap between Bernie Sanders' wing and the Joe Manchin wing of his own party is a much bigger stress for him than whatever the GOP obstructionism may create. Good news on the economic front emerged Thursday with jobless claims uh, declining to somewhat reasonable level at 326,000 tally and polls showing the American plan to celebrate Halloween at pre-pandemic levels despite lingering coronavirus Delta variant cases and new restrictions popping up throughout the country. It appears as though many Americans are attempting to get <clears throat> cultural, uh, to uh, live their lives despite constant cultural fear-mongering. Stokes stocks rose in major indexes yesterday, which is good news. And on other noteworthy data, uh, used car sales prices uh, rose to another record with the inventory at an all-time low. The end of the supply chain problems are nowhere in sight. Biden inflation is costing Americans on average $175 a month. That's because of higher grocery prices and gas prices. The number is going to continue to go up, according to economists. And this is a regressive tax. It hurts the poor and helps the people who are just getting by a heck of a lot more than it hurts the rich. So, uh, again, Biden says no taxes for people under 400000 Well, here's one. It's inflation, $175,000 a month. Global food prices are the highest they've been in a decade. Monthly employment data drops today, so we'll find out tomorrow or today, later today, what those numbers are. President Joe Biden took his COVID-19 vaccine requirement policy on the road Thursday, encouraging those concerned about mass firings and hundreds of people losing their jobs to focus on the quote-unquote bigger story. Let's be clear, he said. When you see headlines and reports of mass firings and hundreds of people losing their jobs, look at the bigger story, he said, seemingly meaning more people in the workforce are now vaccinated. The vaccination requirements are, are tough medicine, he said, unpopular with some, politics for others, he said, but they're life-saving and they're game-changing for our country. <clears throat> he announced his vaccine mandate one month ago, which means roughly 100 million folks will need to get tested weekly if they're not fully inoculated against the novel coronavirus. But the Labor Department, more specifically the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, is still developing the emergency rule, and the lack of information has created uncertainty for business workers. Keep in mind that there's only a press release out there. There's no law or executive order that exists right now to uh, mandate these activities. The problem for Biden is vaccine requirements are a divisive issue. Polling suggests a majority of people support the measure, but a disproportionate number of minority respondents who tend to be Democratic voters do not. And with COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, and deaths trending downward, Biden's argument for the policy is becoming less pointed and uh, less of a concern. The unvaccinated also put our economy at risk because people who are reluctant to go out, he said, because they're worried they are going to get sick I've tried everything in my power to get vaccinated, to get people vaccinated, he said. Poor Joe. Just can't pull it off. For, for folks that haven't gotten vaccinated, get it done, he said. We have a, a plan. We have tools. We just have to finish the job, said Joe. <clears throat> Joe, I don't think that you're very convincing. Most people don't see you with a lot of personal and persuasive power. I don't think they're going to follow your mandate because you say so. So in the worst showing since becoming president, President Joe Biden's approval has fallen to its lowest ever, and the public no longer feels his team is competent, honest, or well-led. Those are pretty harsh words. As Biden struggles to recover from the bungled Afghan withdrawal and an inter-party feud over his spending and tax agenda, his approval has sunk to just 38% in the last Quinnipiac University poll. A majority, 53%, disapprove. That's a difference of 15%. The survey follows a similar pattern in other polls, notably Gallup, that recently has approved his approval at a poor 43%. And while partisanship remains as strong as it was during the Trump era, independents are weighing in heavily against Biden. By nearly two to one, independents disapprove of Biden's uh, performance, 60% to 32%. A special note in the new survey, the public appears to have lost faith in Biden's abilities, according to the survey. 
More than half say 55 to 42 percent say Biden's administration is not competent in running the government. 50 percent say Biden is not honest, while 44 percent say he, he is. <clears throat> 41% say he has a good leadership, whilst 56% says he doesn't, and 55% are disapprove of his handling of the economy. 58% disapprove of his job as commander-in-chief, and 67% say he's wrong on immigration and border issues. Battered on trust, doubted on leadership, and challenged on overall competency, President Joe Biden is being hammered on all sides as his approval rating continues a downward slide to a number not seen since the tough scrutiny of the Trump administration, said Quinnipiac in its analysis. Uh, Trump has a lot of popularity. In fact, support among Trump uh, Republicans for former Trump, uh, Donald Trump, and his presidency, and his likely 2024 bid is surging as the rejection of any who decry him, according to uh, a new polling. Instead of losing ground with Republicans, especially after leaving office, the Pew Research Center found that Trump is gaining that, and that nearly half uh, want him to run again. What's more, most Republicans want Trump to remain the party's leader and, uh, leader and spokesperson. Pretty amazing. I think we'll see a heck of a lot more of President Donald Trump. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Cuyahoga County Commissioner Rick LoCastro. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. 
Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. I hope you'll check it out. So, William, uh, let's do an update on the infrastructure uh, bills that are being proposed right now. Lots of infighting and almost circular firing squads going on here. What's going on? Indeed. Uh, I'll set the table, but as usual. Um, so we've got the 1.2... <clears throat> Um, one po- we've got two infrastructure packages, a $1.2 trillion measure given to physical infrastructure. Now, that is bipartisan, and it's uh, already been passed in the Senate. It is supported by moderates. Then we've got the $3.5 trillion human infrastructure plan that is Democrat-only, and it includes uh, every progressive wish list imaginable under the sun. Um, so the Dem infighting is primarily over the size of that second package, the $3.5 trillion package. Um, moderates would prefer a number uh, less than $1.5 trillion and probably closer to zero, and progressives uh, actually came down from $6 trillion to their current $3.5 trillion. Um, and each side, the moderates and the progressives, are effectively holding hostage the other side's uh, infrastructure bill. And we saw that as we spoke last week when House progressives scuttled a vote on the $1.2 trillion measure that is favored by the moderates. Um, this week, the, not too much to report that the two sides remain far apart. Um, Manchin sent some very mixed signals mixed uh, midweek. On Tuesday, he indicated to reporters that he could go as high as $2.2 trillion dollars on the human infrastructure package. On Wednesday, he backed off that and uh, affirmed that $1.5 trillion is indeed his top-line figure, which is, uh, again, uh, what as high as Manchin is willing to go is assumed to be as high as all moderates are willing to go. So uh, the, I guess on the, other, the flip side of the coin, progressives, the House Progressive Caucus, and Senator Bernie Sanders, and these are, again, these embody the progressive forces on Capitol Hill, um, they've doubled down on their $3.5 trillion number. So the two sides remain far apart. And as, as, I, as I say uh, weekly, I remain cautiously optimistic um, that their mutually exclusive goals will, in essence, negate one another, and the whole of both bills will collapse. Um, and here I should note, uh, this is something that Senator Ron Johnson uh, observes frequently, and it's spot on which is we already had $700 billion worth of infrastructure coming, infrastructure, physical infrastructure spending coming down the pike, no matter what, independent of all the spending about which I just spoke. We just spent $5.5 trillion as a pandemic response. Why don't we put the brakes on, on any new spending um, across the board? So, so to that end, I am hopeful that this circular firing squad uh, in essence, negates both plans. Yeah, no, I well said, and I hope uh, uh, Senator Johnson is correct about that. We don't uh, seven hundred billion dollars, especially considering uh, the financial dilemma we have find ourselves in, and the fiscal irresponsibility we've been dealing with. We have to uh, get conservative with regard to our spending for sure. Except, here, here. except McConnell sent a message. I mean, just at the point where they're really backed on a corner with this debt ceiling, he bails them out. He, I think Senator Lindsey Graham said it best. Uh, he summarized uh, what you speak of. So uh, two days ago, Senator McConnell, we, we've spoken of this, of uh, this debt ceiling. It was on uh, August 1st. The government flew through the debt ceiling at $28.4 trillion, and that's the amount of money that, are, that Congress allows the Treasury to borrow to, to keep the government running. And uh, the Democrats control all three, you know, the, the House, the Senate, and the White House, it certainly seemed that the GOP had a very strong argument in saying, hey, look, if you Democrats, you control all the levers of government, you want to spend you know, $3.5 trillion on human infrastructure, you should own um, this debt ceiling increase, the, the increasing the, the, the debt limit. Right. Um, alas, at the 11th hour, McConnell folded. It's not quite clear what his impetus was. I mean, again, he had drawn a, a red line um, up basically up, up up until hours before he caved. Yeah. So it, reportedly, it, it was the, the the impetus for his deal was to placate Senators Manchin and Cinema and thereby protect the filibuster. He, he was reportedly worried that um, the the, hmm. the majority parties, the Democrats, were going to jettison the filibuster for uh, carve out a, an exception of the filibuster for the debt ceiling. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, 
that seems tenuous given that Manchin hours before had said that, that, that absolutely he would not support um, nixing the filibuster to, to raise the debt ceiling. So whatever McConnell's real impetus was, I do not know, um, but it does seem a sudden and abrupt and unfortunate about faith. Hmm. Very, un- you know, I, he's, it did nothing for his own popularity among conservatives. I could say that for sure, uh, because this is just the exact type of behavior you've seen in the past that placates the Democrats and allows the continuous spending. And uh, well, we'll see. So uh, before I let you go, though, I would like your comments on uh, Merrick Garland making a declaration and uh, uh, sending a warning uh, shot across the bow, if you will, to parents for getting. Uh, agitated with regard to their school boards. I mean, he, to call them potential domestic terrorists is unconscionable. I just can't imagine how this can happen. I just appreciate your comments. Indeed, and I don't believe that the Garland memo actually labeled the parents domestic terrorists. That what they were responding to a, a petition from the National School Boards Association that had indeed um, labeled uh, parents across the country as potentially domestic terrorists for uh, uh, such crimes as yelling and sending threatening letters. Um, so, so, yes, I, I find this to be a troubling uh, exercise of federal resources, federal law enforcement re- resources. I mean, I, I read the other day that, that homicides are up 30% um, <laughs> across the country. And to be sure that that, like uh, these school board issues, are local matters, but surely the FBI has bigger fish to fry than school board meetings. Let's hope so. And, of course, he's got his own conflict of interest with his son-in-law running a company that uh, publishes materials about critical race theory. So, uh, that's, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's such a clear conflict of interest, and it's actually spelled out in the Department of Justice manual. He, he should actually resign, in my opinion. Uh, rules for thee, but not for me. Exactly. It's to be a progressive mantra. <laughs> William Yankman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the website, cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show, William. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is the uh, uh, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art fashion center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. That's gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. 
And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Uh, one of the things they're doing is creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and they do great work. I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Rick Locastro. He is the Cuyahoga County Commissioner in District 1. Uh, Michael Cannon wasn't available for some reason. I hope he doesn't have a family emergency, but we got lots to talk about. President Joe Biden's former Border Patrol chief, Rodney Scott, confirmed that under Biden's leadership, U.S. taxpayers are paying millions of dollars each day to not build a wall along the border with Mexico. He said that the U.S. was paying $5 million a day to contractors despite the fact that the wall construction had been canceled. Many of those projects today are still just on hold, so we're paying contractors for a while. It was almost $5 million a day between the Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security to not build the border wall, he said. The money is just trickling away to contractors for not doing work each day. Can you imagine that? Scott also noted that in places where former President Donald Trump had ordered wall construction, all that is left are stacks and stacks of border wall panels, hundreds of miles of fiber optic cabling, and hundreds of cameras that are still just, quote-unquote, sitting there. Contractors, instead of getting uh, to work building on the wall, are now paid primarily to guard construction materials. Scott, who described himself as a nonpartisan, agreed that Biden's approach to border security was endangering the country. He said he was there, uh, there during all the transition between uh, briefings, but it made clear to the new administration that rolling back Trump's immigration enforcement policies would cause disaster at the border. But no one listened, he said. We made it very clear that if we dropped all the initiatives that had been put in place over the last several years, that we would get an influx of mass migration that would not, we would not be able to control, he said. It was very clear that there are people involved in this process that have been involved before, and they're choosing not to take simple, common-sense steps to secure the border. He served in Border uh, Patrol for nearly 30 years before stepping down in June. He was replaced by Paul Ortiz, Raul Ortiz, in August. Isn't that sad? Millions of dollars a day, the materials just sitting there, and the solution to the problem at the border, it could be built in just a matter of weeks. But uh, Biden is paying $5 million a day, did not address that solution. So you may be aware that 10 Republican governors visited the U.S.-Mexico border on Wednesday to blame President Joe Biden for creating the crisis there and to lay out a 10-point plan for reversing his policies and stopping the surge of migrants. The governor said that Biden White House had refused to acknowledge their concerns about the decline of security at the border, uh, southern border. Uh, the rise of human smuggling, now at the highest level in two decades, is hurting their states, they said, even those 1,000 miles away from the border. The governor's full joint policy framework on the uh, border crisis is right here. And here's, here's the uh, solution they're suggesting. And unfortunately, this is a 10-point program. <clears throat> All 10 points require federal government initiative and uh, support. Of course, we know that Joe Biden could build the wall right now. He's paying to have it done, and he won't do it. So obviously, this is not his concern, and he won't address these concerns. But it's a pretty good program they're recommending. Uh, one is to continue Title 42 public health restrictions. Uh, should continue to invoke 42, Title 42 to refuse entry to individuals coming into the country due to COVID-19 public health risk which was initially issued by the previous administration. So he could do that. That would be one thing. Also, dedicate federal resources to eradicate human trafficking and drug trafficking. Big problem. Due to the rapid increase of the cartel activity, the Biden administration should dedicate additional resources to eradicate the surge of human trafficking, drug trafficking, arrest offenders, support victims, and get dangerous drugs like fentanyl, methamphetamine off the streets. Should happen. Absolutely. Resume the deportation of all criminals. The Bidens, can you believe they actually have to recommend this? The Biden administration should enforce all deportation laws of criminally convicted illegal aliens. Upon taking office, President Biden issued an executive order ordering that U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement prioritize only the deportation of aggravated felons, gangster members, gang members, or terrorists, leaving other criminals to remain in the United States. Our president allowing criminals to stay in the United States. Can you believe that? 
Re-enter all agreements with our Northern Triangle partners in Mexico is the fourth recommendation. President Biden should re-enter the prior, the prior administration's agreement with Northern Triangle companies, uh, countries like El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, and Mexico. The countries agreed to enforce their respective borders, fix their asylum systems, and receive migrants seeking asylum before they journey north to the United States. <clears throat> but uh, he put a nix to that and ended that agreement. He should uh, renew it. He should also, number five, is provide a notice and transparency to states on unaccompanied minors and migrants. That certainly makes sense. Number six is uh, send a clear message to p- potential migrants. President Biden, Vice President Harris, and Biden administration officials at every level should state clearly and unequivocally that our country's borders are not open and that migrants seeking economic opportunity should not attempt to abuse or misuse the asylum process. Well, certainly they should do that. And also, number seven, deploy more federal law enforcement officers and National Guard troops to uh, quell the stir- storm down there. Due to overwhelming needs at the border, the Biden administration should deploy more and more greater resources to U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Number eight, end catch and release and clear the judicial backlog. The Biden administration should end the Obama-era policy of catching and releasing apprehended migrants into U.S. cities along the South Texas border, leaving immigrant, illegal immigrants that are old and able to travel anywhere in the country. They should certainly end cat, catch and release. Number nine, fully reinstate the migrant protection protocols. The Biden administration should comply with recent federal court rulings and fully reinstate the migrant protection protocols established by the prior administration, which require asylum seekers to return to Mexico to await their court hearing outside the United States serving as deter- a deterrent to cross. That certainly makes sense. And finally, finish the securing the border wall. The Biden administration should reopen construction contracts to continue building the border wall and invest infrastructure and technology such as lights, sensors, or access roads to complete the border security system. Upon taking office, President Biden terminated the wall, the national emergency at the border, stopped all border construction, and redirected funds to uh, build the wall. Unbelievable. So these are the things the governors are recommending. Of course, Biden's and his administration are going to do absolutely nothing to comply with these requests. Uh, Certainly he knows that he's paying $5 million a day for the border wall to just sit there and having these uh, uh, construction workers just guard the materials. So in my opinion, Governor Abbott, should get together with these governors, get some uh, the National Guard and the State Guard to uh, come down from different states and uh, assume the role of the federal government on the border to secure the wall and secure the border, including building the wall. And I just make it makes me wonder if we couldn't divert federal income taxes to the states to pull this off and make sure that it happens, because the number one role of the federal government is to secure our safety and to keep us up safe from predators, both internal and external in the United States. They're not doing that. They're bringing predators in, and uh, we have a problem with fentanyl and with drug trafficking, with human trafficking. Uh, we need to end all this, and the, obviously our president has no intention of doing that. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with um, Rick LaCastro. He's Cuyahoga County Commissioner in District 1. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. 
That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you, too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. I proudly served as the board chairman for the first 15 years and now building a 43,000 square foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more and get tickets, by the way, for the new season by visiting the website, Golf Shore Playhouse. Dot org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Rick, Rick Locastro. He is our Collier County Commissioner in District 1. Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on again, Bob. Good morning. Always a pleasure, Rick. And uh, last time we talked, we were talking about the Army Corps of Engineers doing uh, a study uh, here in Collier County, really to the tune of, uh, of billions of dollars, as I understood it at the time. But uh, apparently it's been uh, supported and I think that was an area that what you wanted. Uh, maybe you could uh, uh, flesh that out for us and tell us about it. Absolutely. Well, you always have the hot topics on your show. So since we last spoke um, a couple of weeks ago, all five county commissioners voted unanimously to continue with the study and really to let it finish. Um, there was some citizen concern out there that they had heard bits and pieces that, oh, the Army Corps was making us put up these giant walls and all these things that could mitigate storm damage and whatnot. And as I said on your show last time, people need to remember the Army Corps is just analysis. It's a study. It's not directive. It's not a plan. It's not even funded. It's just to give us their analysis of where weak points might be in Collier County and then a plethora of ideas, some of them even outlandish. But in the end, the county will vote and decide on what we will do and what we won't do. And even in a report like that, where there's some pretty um, aggressive type of um, suggestions or just analysis buried in that report, there's also really great things that we want to know. So all we um, voted unanimously to do is let them finish their report. Let's not end it prematurely and let's get the report. And I think we expect it in about a month or so if uh, the last time I heard. Wow, that's pretty good turnaround. That's great. So um, thank you for the feedback. And uh, just on a different topic. Uh, people are right now struggling with inflation. In fact, uh, the latest report shows from economists that uh, uh, goods and services are costing about $175 a month more per family for things like food and uh, gas. How is that affecting in, uh, the, uh, the Collier County government and uh, the uh, citizens itself? Well, it's affecting us in many ways. Um, I work very closely as a retired Air Force um, veteran of 24 years. I work very closely with different veterans organizations, Wooded Warriors of Collier County, even St. Matthew's House and, and, and many others. They're really stretched um, because their donations in some cases are less as people are financially strapped. Maybe they're not contributing as much, but the need has re is really exponential. And just last week, um, we really we had to deal with some homeless families that were on several um, uh, fields, uh, you know, uh, uh, chunks of land uh, uh, down US 41. Mm. And you know, it's not illegal to be homeless, um, and it, and it's e easy to just say call the sheriff and kick those people off the property. But they're going to go somewhere else. And so um, we helped quite a few of those people. St. Matthew's House was very helpful. The um, Hunger and Homeless Coalition was extremely helpful. Um, you know, we got those people who 
who welcomed the help. Um, and it's not a matter of just kicking them off the property and then finding out that they've gone down the road and around the corner. But we're seeing a lot of our not-for-profits really stretched by people who have never reached out before for help because they've lost their jobs or, um, or you know, a plethora of things that either COVID or just inflation has affected. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's stress, uh, stretching and stressing our community. Oh, thanks for saying that. I, I would like to recommend to our listeners uh, St. Matthew's House, especially for the great work that they do. Thanksgiving is coming up, of course, and uh, making contributions to support the, the Thanksgiving meals, but also the homeless programs, the the uh, addiction programs. Uh, they just do a great job and take no government funding. So uh, what they do is they, they don't just take people in and give them a place to live. They get them back on their feet. They work with them, give them a plan, and help them get back on their feet. So... Uh, thank you for uh, for bringing that. Well, up. one thing I say too is, if you're financially stressed, you know your your time is is really the most valuable thing. So people that want to help, but maybe they can't help financially, all these organizations can really use volunteers. Some of their volunteer base that's quite elderly that were affected by COVID, or they just are worried about COVID, so they don't want to be out and about. So when these organizations need help now more than ever, financial and volunteer, some of them are struggling to find that. So, you know, if citizens out there want to help, it's not a matter of just writing a check. I mean, the financial help is, is needed as well. But even just to give a few hours a day and um, hand out food on the line or work behind a counter somewhere or a warehouse, um, I know any of those organizations. Pick one and reach out, and they won't turn you away, especially now. All right, stmatthewshouse.org is the website, stmatthewshouse.org. So, Rick, uh, how's the sports complex doing? Well, you know, I tell you, people ask me all the time, they say, um, you know, would, would you have voted for the sports complex? And the voting to build the sports complex predates me. So I always say, listen, that's an irrelevant question. The sports complex is built, and now our job is to make it successful. You know, but it's struggling. It's a it's a large facility, upwards in a uh, you know 150 million dollars to build it. Tons of of fields and whatnot. And not that it, it would ever be a cash cow. It's not supposed to be a profit generator like any park. Um, it's a community asset. Right. But when you have something that large, the care and feeding of it is extremely expensive. And I open up every town hall meeting saying this, Bob. I say, how many of you know that the county built a built a hundred and fifty million plus dollar sports complex called Paradise Coast, um, uh, just right in in City Gate, um, you know, close to Golden Gate. And of course, every hand goes up. And then I tell everybody, you know, put your hands down. And I say, you're all wrong. And then they're flabbergasted. And what I say is, the county didn't build that sports park. You did. And taxpayers knowing where their money is going, how mm -hmm. it's being spent, having a conversation with their elected officials before they vote on something, um, and, and to have their voices heard, and to also understand, you know, uh, there's people that said, oh, the sports complex is great, but, um, you know, we're not printing money in the basement of the county building. It's not monopoly money, and $150 million for anything should be something that we make sure has a great plan, um, a great payback to the community. It doesn't necessarily need to, um, you know, be profit generating. Did COVID affect the sports complex? You know, absolutely. But even before COVID, it was struggling. You know, yeah. watching high school kids play on those, um, those fields is great. But you have to remember they're, in most cases, not paying to play out there, and we wouldn't want them to pay. But you have to have some things out there that do generate a little bit of revenue to offset the cost. Right now, we've put out for bid, a rebid, um, a new contractor. The current contractor that was secured um, is, uh, has not met um, what was required in their contract. So we're looking for either them to be much more aggressive um, and or also for some new contractors to come in. So my understanding is it's uh, currently out for bid now. We expect, you know, three, four, five, a half a dozen different uh, contractors to come in, maybe with some new ideas, maybe with more networking across the country. So we're not just supporting local schools to use these fields, which is great. But the whole plan for the sports complex is that it was going to draw a lot of different things to Southwest Florida, right. and it has yet to do that. Well, my, my question would be is, uh, certainly there's 
compensation for the use of the facilities. That's one form of compensation. But the other is the tourism that, that it could generate. For example, I understand that uh, the lacrosse championships or high school championships are played there, if I'm not mistaken, or have been played there. In other words, attracting major events that could bring families down or staying in hotels and those types. Is that a form of compensation that you look at? Well, no question about it. I mean, there's residual money that if there's anything at any event, you know, when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play, you know, all of Tampa, you know, makes money. But we really haven't had all that many events. And when you have a local high school come um, and have a lacrosse tournament or a soccer tournament, their parents stay at home. So mm. it's not like we're attracting people from Orlando. I'm not saying we haven't. But I don't believe in the numbers that we had hoped. You know, we have a football stadium that was supposed to also act as a, um, a location for concerts. And, and although on 4th of July, Ben Allen played to a, you know, a, a decent sized crowd, that was sort of a onesie twosie. Um, mm -hmm. And so as we get maybe on the other side of COVID, people start coming out more. So, um, uh, you know, we've, we've got to uh, come up. We, we need the contractor to come up with much more, a much more aggressive plan and, and and in all honesty, Bob, maybe just work a little bit harder um, and be more creative uh, so that we can balance the operation and maintenance. I can tell you from my Air Force days of running big military bases and having budgets way bigger than Collier County, it, building the sports complex actually isn't your biggest cost. It's over the next 50 years, the operation of maintenance and cutting the grass, paying the staff, yeah. changing the light bulbs. I mean, and that has to be something that every year is in the Collier County budget. And it's a big number. So it's great for people to enjoy the sports complex, but they also have to realize they're paying for it. And we need the, the right type of use to at least balance um, the expenses a bit. And that balance has been off by quite a bit since, you know, we cut the ribbon. Yeah. Hey, Rick, I really appreciate you sharing this information. There's so much more to talk about. We're out of time to talk about it, though, unfortunately. I hope you'll uh, consider coming back sometime so we can extend Always. the Always. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> Thank appreciate you. what you do for the community, and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, Rick. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Bigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. He wrote the book uh, because he was assaulted by union bosses uh, over the course of two and a half years. The SEIU union bosses wanted him to sign a neutrality agreement. He refused, said, if you want to unionize our shop, you're going to have to do it through secret ballot. They refused, and the dirty tricks uh, and the onslaught began. So we're going to visit with Dave. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Dave Beagle, as I mentioned before the break. He's the author of a terrific read. You really got to read it. You just can't make this stuff up. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep, about the travails of dealing with SEIU union bosses over the course of two years, two and a half years, and their dirty tricks. Dave's business, Executive Management Services, is doing business in over 30 states with uh, over 6,000 employees. They wanted to unionize them. He said, you have to do it through a secret ballot. And he said, uh, and they said, nope. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't want to take the risk of having a secret ballot, but uh, Dave prevailed and wrote a book about it, The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob, and thanks for the commentary. I hope people will read it. I've got more and more people that have have read it and um, said that it's amazing that um, what's going on in this country is um, really explained in my book and um, uh, today because the unions control the country today and you know a lot of people haven't bought my book because the media won't talk about it because the unions control the media. Well, that's right, and they control the school systems and I mean you just think about the impact that unions have across the country. It's just unbelievable. And uh, some, as you and I have talked about so many times, there's some good unions that do good work for their uh, people and uh, provide some value. Several, like SEU, provide no value. They just take the money, they uh, skim it off the top and uh, send it off to the Democrat Party, and it's kind of a circular uh, process of uh, funding the Democrats and uh, continuing their agenda. Well, that's exactly right, and they control the Democratic Party, and them and the left, and uh, they're the ones that are causing all these things going on across this country and trying to turn it, bring us down and turn us into a socialist, communist country. Yeah. And um, I um, I thought you'd get a kick out of this, and your audience might too, too, but uh, a friend of mine, um, he um, uh, sent me an article, and, um, you know, it kind of takes you back to what the left used to be like and uh, that. But uh, he says, the conservatives now need to play the same game as Jesse uh, Jackson, Al Sharpton, and other liberal activists. Um, uh, if you can't beat them, copy them. Use their tactics and fight fire with fire. And that's what we need to do in this country today. Well, that certainly makes sense. I mean, uh, to me, it's just so appalling that Mitch McConnell did, did the quote-unquote right thing, took the high road, approved a $480 billion increase on our debt ceiling which is just absurd we had these guys backed in a corner and uh, now having to come up with a plan to uh to show how they're going to keep our our country solvent but uh you know instead of doing that and what you're suggesting he said no let's uh, he caved what what elizabeth warren said he caved unbelievable yeah and then we can't do it and uh here's the other thing that the um the Democrats have come out with a child allowance welfare trap. Um, they're going to provide even huge more federal welfare payments to families in that. And, um, and that's just another way for them to um, um, stop the incentive to work. And uh, they're saying now that this could um, eliminate about a million jobs or more in this country because people just stay home and collect money from the federal government. Yeah. And Bob, that's what this country, this uh, the left and the unions are all about. They want to turn us into a socialist communist country without God in it. Yeah. And um, it's, um, um, people need to wake up and we need to stop this. Absolutely. Uh, you take a look at the, uh, providing free community college. You think about providing uh, uh, a preschool for kids at no cost to parents. I mean, the the agenda we take a look at what's happening in public schools right now with critical race theory and the gender spectrum and all the things that are going on certainly re parents have a reason to be concerned you don't think that would consider continue and get even worse in community college and preschool it certainly would well it, the thing is is as it would move along uh you know school systems would probably decline rapidly and there wouldn't be much higher education because they don't want to um uh, people to grow and, and uh, be successful. They just want to control them. Um, uh, I actually had some ladies at our club uh, last week, and I was talking to one, and she was from um, uh, Cuba. 
And she says, I came to this country to get away from all the socialist communist stuff that's going on there. Yeah. And uh, to another point, you know, we came here, we came to the United States because it's a place of the free, provided the uh, opportunity that we are seeking. But if the United States goes down, where do you go? There's no place in the world to go now because uh, we've, we're the last bastion, the last hope uh, for the globe in terms of providing uh, individual freedom and uh, individual rights. So sad. Yeah, it and, is. And uh, I thought you'd get it. And the unions are like, they're controlling this and they're pushing hard. They, and the Democratic Party has installed a gal as the um, head of the National Labor Relations Board and she is pro-union and she is really pushing to uh, put policies into the unions for she unionize this country. And of course, uh, get through the PRO Act, which will bring back card check, which is what the unions tried to do against us. Yeah. Uh, so card check, just for, for our listeners' benefit, it means that uh, they they would simply go to, uh, it bypasses the private or the secret ballots and goes right to the employees and gets them to sign off on wanting to be a union member once they get 50% plus one. Voila, uh, executive management services is unionized. And that's the same for all other companies. So what they want to do is do away with the secret ballot and just go to card check? Yeah, and card check, you know, uh, when you do that, employees have to give the names and addresses of all their employees so they can go to the homes and force them to intimidate uh, them to sign the union cards. And this is what that's all about. It's about control in this country. Mm-hmm. And when Dave says uh, force and intimidate, he, he doesn't say that lightly. The fact of the matter is that that's once you read his book, The Devil at Her Doorstep, you see the tactics that these union bosses use. It, lying, deceit, you just name it, and that's what they're all about to get what they want, and they'll, they'll do anything in order to get uh, get their way. And that's, what, of course, what we're seeing right now with the Democrat Party. That's right. That's right. And um, I, I had one other thing I wanted to read to you real quick that I got from another friend of mine. It's called Little Johnny. And um, uh, Little Johnny walked in front of the classroom, dumped a box full of cash on the teacher's desk, and he said, $2,647. And she said, What? What in the world are you selling? Toothbrushes, said little Johnny. Toothbrushes, echoed the teacher. How would you possibly sell enough toothbrushes to make that much money? And he says, I found a business corner in town. I set up a dip and chip stand. I gave everybody who walked by a free sample. They all said the same thing. Hey, this tastes like dog, (coughs) (laughs) S-H-I-T. Then I would say, it is dog, S-H-I-T. <laughs> Want to buy a toothbrush? <laughs> he says, basically, I used President Biden's method of giving you some uh, yeah. crap, dressing up so it looks good, telling you it's free, and then making you pay to get the bad taste out of your mouth. Yeah. Little Johnny got five stars for his assignment, bless his heart. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't get... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. They deserve five stars, but usually, what would happen is they call his parents and say he's being a terrorist of some sort. But anyhow, yeah, but you know, at least he stood up to the teacher and uh, he said things, and you know, basically, you know, pointed out this is the stuff Joe Biden does to you, you know, about uh, it's free and, and uh, all the kind of stuff. But and, I, uh, and the, I'll tell you what, though, little Johnny has great instincts. He's going to have a great sales future. <laughs> in no, his I know it. <laughs> Dave Vigo, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. I encourage you to visit the website, thedevilatourdoorstep.com, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. You get a copy of the book on a, at a nice discount on my website, bobharden.com, and, of course, at all book purveyors, purveyors uh, across the country, including Amazon. Dave, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. Have a great weekend. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. On Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We talk about current global events. Bob Rommel is our state representative. Look forward to a visit with Bob of what's happening and uh, planning for the new uh, legislative session. And Paul Behrens is the new executive director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. We can follow up on our discussion with uh, Rick LeCastro about the sports complex. And talk about tourism and what's going on. Of course, trying to come back from a very difficult COVID season. And tourism is so important to us here on the Paradise Coast. So we'll look forward to talking to Paul as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. 
I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.